Hey, and welcome to The Living Stone, a digital ministry from Greystone Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Here's this week's scripture reading and sermon. A reading from Psalm 95. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and the dry land which his hands have formed. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Oh, that today you would listen to his voice. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Has anybody here ever studied Aikido? Anyone? Aikido? No? I don't know much about it either. I've never practiced any of the martial arts. For those who do not know, Aikido is a martial art. It is a Japanese martial art. It teaches skills for self-defense and self-protection, you know, when fighting an opponent. But it's also, and perhaps more so, about training the state of mind and the physical condition of the body. In fact, in traditional Aikido practice, one progresses through the ranks not by besting an opponent, through uh, but through demonstrating understanding of basic exercises and techniques. So you don't earn a new belt, so to speak, in a fight with someone else, but by demonstrating that you understand the basic principles and techniques of the art which in some ways of thinking about it is a more difficult way of increasing one's rank. You are only working against yourself. Within the practice, there are important skills that a student has to learn to embody. These basic frameworks form and shape the disposition of the student so that they begin to embody not only the principles on the mat, right? but in the rest of their daily living as well. When I was doing a little bit of kind of surface level research on the art of Aikido this week, I learned that one of the core principles of the practice is something called soft eyes. Soft eyes. Having soft eyes means to be able to widen one's periphery to take in more of the world. In terms of practicing the martial arts, we can understand how one would greatly benefit from such a practice, from an expanded periphery, so to speak. Think about the advantage when a stimulus comes in and something happens to a person who is unprepared, right? They, if they had their blinders on and something came at them from outside that small range, They would be surprised, and it might signal kind of a fight-or-flight response. But for someone who has a wider range of vision, and perhaps even a wide range with softer edges, 
one that is conditioned, a a different kind of response might be elicited, one that uh, is conditioned to understand and make space for intrusions, right? Instead of a a stressed fight or, or flight response that might come if something suddenly came in from a small view. Applying this particular Aikido principle to the spiritual life, popular Christian author Parker Palmer says, in these measured responses, when we accept stimuli, you know, the things that interrupt and intrude our lives, when we begin to accept them with spiritual soft eyes, we can begin to think new thoughts. When we can accept stimuli with spiritually soft eyes, we can begin to think new thoughts. By now you're probably aware that Parker Palmer's assessment of Aikido is the reason I was researching Aikido to begin with. He says soft eyes are an evocative image for what happens when we gaze on sacred reality. Now, with soft eyes, we are open And we are receptive, and we are able to take in the greatness of the world and what he calls the great grace of things. With soft eyes, we are able to take in the greatness of the world and the great grace of things. Now, I don't know about you all, but sometimes I really struggle with soft eyes, Sometimes when bad news seems to be piling up, when the plans that I had been looking forward to had to change at the last minute, when people I love get a diagnosis that we prayed would never come, and when none of our interventions seem to be helping, and the hits just keep on coming, they keep piling up in our lives, that is when I struggle with soft eyes and wide vision. That is when I find myself wanting to take a gaze that might otherwise be like this, and it becomes more narrow because it just hurts too much to have that expanded view. It hurts too much to hold on to all the grief of everything out there. That is how I feel, and I wonder if you all feel that way too from time to time. But as Parker Palmer reminds us, when we close ourselves off, when we begin to see the world only through our own narrow, hard eyes, we not only miss out on the hard things, but we rob ourselves of the greatness of the world and the great grace of things. You see, we are not the first people in history to find ourselves overwhelmed with devastating circumstances. We are not the first to awaken to news about war and unimaginable violence. We are not the first to struggle to move that arc of the moral universe more toward justice. We are not the first to deal with large-scale problems, even though our small-scale personal struggles are more than enough to weigh us down. We are not the first, and we will not be the last. In fact, this desperate and depressing situation is, quite simply put, the human condition. 
It is for this reason that the question of theodicy dominates much of our Christian history. People of deep faith and moral conviction have for thousands of years asked the question, if God is indeed good, then why is there such suffering in the world? How does such evil exist in our world? And why doesn't this good God do anything about it? And we might add our voices to that chorus. We might even offer some of our own anecdotes and attempts to satisfy that curiosity. But the truth is that even the brightest theologians in Christian history, even the most faithful disciples have struggled and they still come up short where suffering and goodness is concerned. So we might have to leave that question on the table for now. And rather than trying to find a definitive, satisfactory answer for it, perhaps we might search within our tradition and our scriptures for a tool to navigate life, given the reality of evil and suffering. The book of Psalms offers us unique insight into the devotional lives of early Christians and Jews in the ancient world. Even Jesus quotes from the Psalms in critical moments of his life. Do you remember the words from the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those were not Jesus' original words. Instead, Jesus is reciting an ancient prayer straight out of Psalm 22. In a profoundly vulnerable position, Jesus chose to reach deep into his own religious tradition to find the words to summarize his experience. And Jesus wasn't the first, nor would he be the last, to use the Psalms in such a way. In fact, The Psalms are, more than any other book in our Bibles, a living record of ancient liturgy. I've told you once before that a beloved professor of mine started a class on the Psalms by saying, if most of the Bible is God's word to us, then the Psalms are our words to God. Recitation of the Psalms is a popular practice for modern Christians. In fact, in our lectionary, which is a shared schedule of readings used for worship in most Christian denominations, there's at least one psalm assigned to every single Sunday. And sometimes there are two psalms. In some Christian traditions, the psalms are read in every worship service as a companion and supplement to the readings from the Gospels or the New Testament or the Old Testament The Psalms have inspired so many of our hymns. They are the foundation for most of our prayers and liturgies, and they are the most popular source of comfort in the wake of struggle. Anyone heard Psalm 23 lately? Was it at a funeral? You know what I'm talking about. As popular as these ancient pieces of literature are, we do not know who wrote most of them. Some of them, in fact, most of them are accredited to King David, but we don't know for certain if he wrote them. We don't even know if they are the handiwork of one author or a community of worshipers who drafted and voiced and then edited the verses until they appeared in today's form. However, what we do know is that in the collection of these ancient hymns and poems and prayers, we are provided with a window of sorts 
through which we might see into the worship life of Jews and Christians living in the ancient world and in every time between then and now. Here's another fun fact. Although biblical scholars have made numerous attempts to even put a date on when the Psalms were written, there is no consensus because there are so few historical references found within them. And another way to think about that kind of difficulty while it frustrates biblical scholars and interpreters, another way to think about that is to acknowledge the timelessness of these poetic prayers. Maybe it's a good thing that they don't confine themselves to a specific moment in history or a specific community or even a specific author. Because now as we read the words, we are free, free to join our voices and our stories and our experiences with those that are written on the page from so long ago. You see, the Psalms in many ways invite us to widen our view so to speak. The Psalms invite us to widen our view and allow our devotional lives to be shaped and formed by the words of our forefathers and foremothers. Let's take today's reading, for example. Psalm 95. It is an ancient call to worship, one that reminds us of God's provision and God's care for people throughout all of history. Here the psalmist stretches us to remember that the whole earth, from the greatest depth to the highest of mountains, from the seas to the dry land and everything in between, it was all created by God's unmatched creativity. Here, the author beckons us to expand our memory of God's participation in the world to remember that God's interventions happen outside of our own small slice of history because God operates, to borrow that Aikido term, God operates with soft eyes and an ever-expanding view. Often we just can't quite see so wide. So we have to spend our time cultivating wider and wider peripheries in our own lives. We have to dedicate ourselves to the spiritual work of softening those edges so that we might also begin to take in what Palmer calls the greatness of the world and the great grace of things. Another popular author, Diana Butler Bass, says that Parker Palmer's quote is another definition of gratitude itself. To take in the greatness of the world and the great grace of things. Bass says that is itself gratitude. And one of the ways that we do this is by grounding ourselves in the ancient words of the Psalms, words that remind us of God's presence and God's care and God's provision, which predates not only our current circumstances, but also our very existence. You see, even though we can't explain why things are the way that they are, with evil and with injustice and with the suffering that we experience. Even though we can't always explain why, we can choose to ground ourselves in gratitude as we remember God's presence with us right in the middle 
of it. God is good all the time, right? We can choose to ground ourselves in gratitude as we remember God's presence in the middle of it, not only in our particular lives, not only in our unique circumstances, but in every life and in every place and in every time God was and God is with us. In this sense, y'all, gratitude is very possible, even when we don't feel like we have anything to be thankful for. Gratitude is possible because gratitude is more than our emotional response to the good things that life throws our way. Even in the darkest of times, gratitude waits to be seen and recognized and acted upon more thoughtfully and with a sense of purpose. Gratitude is a habit of awareness that reshapes our understanding of the moral choices we make in this world. Gratitude becomes an ethic a coherent set of principles and practices related to grace and gifts and understanding. Gratitude, rooted in the ancient words of scripture and repeated through our lips and understood through soft and ever-softening eyes, gratitude can guide our lives as a noun, as a verb, and as an ethic. And when we allow gratitude to become our ethic, a framework upon which we build the rest of our lives, we can begin to see God's gifts of grace more fully, which means we can begin sharing them more effectively with our neighbors all over this world. Can you imagine a better Christian witness than that? Can you imagine it? Anything better than a bunch of people who are agents of God's grace, no matter the circumstance, grace, not condemnation, not judgment, not exclusion or pretension, just grace. Can you imagine a better summary, a better testimony to the gospel of Jesus Christ? When we allow gratitude to become our ethic, our eyes soften. The edges of our periphery begin to expand and we can see God's gifts of grace more fully than ever before. The challenge and the invitation for us today is whether or not we are ready to do it. To take our small and narrow eyes and begin to let them soften and expand and to allow the grace of God, which is a gift for us, to expand our view even more. I want to leave us this morning with some wise words from a a modern prophet or poet you can choose. She adds her voice to the chorus of gratitude. And there are a few people who can say things as beautifully as she. So listen now to the words of Maya Angelou and let them pour over you like another gift of grace and an invitation into grateful living. If you must look back, she writes, do so forgivingly. If you must look forward, do so prayerfully. However, the wisest thing you can do is to be present in the present 
gratefully. If you must look back, do so forgivingly. If you must look forward, do so prayerfully. However, the wisest thing you can do is be present in the present gratefully. Lord, make it so here and now and forevermore. Amen.